You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I am CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and uh, I'm excited today for this topic. This topic has kind of been uh, discussed in all sorts of facets of our lives. We're going to talk a little bit about AI and we have a wonderful guest and expert, Dr. Adam Robison, who is here with us. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, Adam, we, we always like to have our guests kind of introduce themselves a little bit, tell us a little bit about you know your professional p- career path, what you're doing now, and, and how it kind of relates to today's topic. Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Adam Robison. I'm an internal medicine physician by training. Um, I did my training at the University of Louisville. I'm a big uh, Cardinals fan. Um, nice. <laughs> and I have been a practicing physician um, as a hospitalist clinically for about uh, seven and a half years now. Um, <clears throat> so I do work st- uh, still clinically today. Um, I founded a company called AI Medica about five years ago. Um, yeah, actually, we're coming up on our fifth year, fifth anniversary here on the uh, in in, um, in 2024 um, to solve some of the issues we've run da- uh, data interoperability with EHR as well as applying um, <clears throat> uh, artificial intelligence uh, to um, physician and clinician workflows um, using these data data interoperability standards that have, have um, become widespread now in the in the um, in the EHR and in the modern healthcare landscape. Yeah, and and when you and I first kind of met each other and, and talked a little bit about what you do, I thought, wow, this is like perfect because you are practicing, you know, like the pain points, you know um, what you're trying to achieve clinically. And then you also have expertise and you have, and you have a team that has expertise on uh, this technical side and, and the AI side. and. Mm-hmm that to to our advantage so i'm excited to talk about this a little bit anything else you want to share before we jump into our topic yeah no i think that's something i i talk to people about i i i like it to be in the hair club for managing those old commercials i'm i'm a member but i'm also you know a user of the product so to speak exactly so i love it i i am a practicing physician i i i still work quite a bit and i see patients on the regular in the hospital and so um, I use the product. I use our products in my own clinical practice all the time, which I think has been great to help refine the product, but also it's for me to really truly understand the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And well, let's maybe jump into some of those problems. So what are some of the problems, the major problems that you're seeing uh, currently with electronic medical records, or we, we may say EMRs, mm-hmm. um, and and maybe the lack of ability to use all that information. Like there was such promise, right? When we moved from paper records to uh, electronic medical records of, oh, you'll have all this data at your fingertips and this and that. And and some people, some docs I talked to are like, oh, it's overwhelming. We don't use all this information. It starts to bloat everything. And um, so what are your, what are you seeing as major problems with EMRs? Mars and inability yeah. to use that information. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, thanks, CJ. I, I think um, what we're seeing right now 
And I agree with you. And when electronic health records first came on the scene, um, there's a lot of promise around, hey, we're going to have all this data. We're going to do all these amazing things with it. I, I trained it kind of that switch over, right? So where I trained right. it and where I beginning my training, I was using paper charts. We had some, we had a computer-based ordering system, but it was still, most of the documentation was still paper charts. And gotcha. then shortly towards the end of my training, we converted over to electronic records. So I've kind of seen both of these worlds um, um, uh, evolve over time. And uh, when when the electronic health records first came out, there's all this promise, we have all this data that we can do all these amazing things with, but really what we just basically saw, and even to, to some degree right now, it, the electronic health records were just basically a digitized digitized chart. Exactly. Uh, we didn't really didn't really evolve the functionality that we I think a lot of us had in our minds would we would see. Um, and I think that we're now in that next evolution of what the EHR will do or what these um what the, the what we hope have a promise, you know, five, 10 years ago when these electronic records were still coming on the market and becoming widespread. Right. We're starting to see some of these potentials, but we're still far, uh, we still have a long ways to go. But I'm really excited where we're going to be in the next 10 years. I think there's going to be a lot of changes over time. Um, some of the biggest problems I think we're currently seeing, though, is still around the idea that a patient's chart is very siloed. Um, I, I recently have a really good friend of mine um, who um, they, they um, he and his wife had a child that had a lot of medical issues. And um, they had to go, they received initial care at a, a community hospital, but due to the nature of the medical problems the child had, they had to go to a, a tertiary uh, center to have higher level of care. Right. Even though both sides were using the, one of the premier EHRs uh, on the market, um, they had two different, they had two different records that really didn't talk to each other, right. which was a frustrating experience for the patient who basically, even though despite you know, having a systems are, that are, are the same type of EHR, they didn't talk to each other, so they had two different types of personal records. And we still haven't overcome that big problem within the EHR space. I think we're starting to get there. I'm going to talk about that in here in a little bit. I'm I like to talk about a little bit. That's what my company is trying to do. But that is still a huge problem until we until we can get around that data interoperability issue. Yeah, broadly applying artificial intelligence is something that'll be somewhat limited because the data cells themselves will be somewhat limited. Yeah, it's like you know, as a user of healthcare, right? As a, as a patient myself or my children. It's like, I have to fill out the same information like 20 times. I'm like, isn't it already in the system? Oh, our systems don't talk to each other. It's like, well, what's the whole point? It's like, (laughs) um, to make things easier, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, I laugh because people say, oh, it's in my chart. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. There is no chart. There's a million charts that you may, yeah, it's not in, it may be in this computer system, but not in that computer system. And I think that sometimes really glossed over when, when people talk about artificial intelligence in the health space. Artificial intelligence by its very nature requires large data sets for it to be right. providing accurate information, accurate models. And right now we have lots of data, but it's very siloed in different chunks that it's not readily available for uh, artificial intelligence model to use in kind of a broad way. And so there, yeah. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on that data interoperability standards and, and correcting that and really making that um, fixed is a huge barrier to really making really meaningful automation and artificial intelligence in the healthcare space. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I can I can see those. Um, I, I have a question that's kind of going to take us a little off the topic of, oh, of problems, but are there any other 
problems that you wanted to discuss before I kind of switch gears a little bit? Um, I, I think I think um, the other issue is the the, the electronic records themselves um, are very complex and cumbersome to use. I think that's another issue that we've got to figure out. Um, uh, they're like, I think they're often trying to be everything to everybody and they're often right. anybody. And so, and, and a lot of that can be done by fixing these uh, processes in the background. We can really make them a lot better um, and really improve the user experience. I, I hope one day we'd like to evolve the electronic record to something that's not a barrier to me and my taking care of my patients, which right. sometimes it feels like it is, right. but works as something as, as, critical to my ability to care for patients like, like, you know, I'm an internal medicine doctor, so I do use a stethoscope. Um, I, that's a critical part of my tool belt of care for patients. I feel like eventually we, we hope to evolve the electronic medical record to the point where it becomes something as critical providing care, much like a stethoscope is. Uh, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I was actually recently, I work, so I do I do some teaching in the patient safety and, and quality care space um, at uh, my, uh, the medical school where I graduated from. And um, I was reading this research study and I thought, oh my gosh, it only in today's day and age, I would have never thought of this 30 years ago when I was in med mm -hmm. school. Uh, the study was how to relieve click fatigue in the EMR. Um, and it, it's a real thing like docs and other providers have to click through a bunch of different things and it's like is this really necessary you know is this system helping me is it is it adding burden and that sort of thing i thought my goodness what an interesting study <laughs> well and also we, we're responsible i was something kind of back to our, our previous question was we're we as physicians are responsible for every data in that p every data point in that ehr and that let record right. we're responsible for that and it's you know it's something that we have to be but but if we don't know where to look or if we don't know what's in there or if we don't want to click around too much, right? Um, we're busy. Um, it, it is a liability issue there as well. Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, so let me um, ask you a little bit about uh, some recent uh, legislation. You, you know, you you and I've communicated about the 21st Century Cures Act, mm -hmm. and I'm curious what some of the impacts of that legislation might be, and and how it's changing the way that that we think about healthcare data. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so 21st Century Cures Act, I can't remember when it first came out. It was, I don't know, about a year ago, I think, or two years ago. But um, I went in, I remember when it came out, because <clears throat> I do practice as a clinician, a lot of us, a lot of us uh, physicians were somewhat nervous because it made the chart readily open, right? Um, right. So any patient could view all their notes in real time. Um, which really don't have a problem with that. I don't say anything inflammatory. I don't think most doctors say anything inflammatory in the notes, but I think a lot of us were more worried about asking a whole bunch of questions by, you know, by patients that didn't really understand maybe some of the nuances of, or some of the thought process that go in our notes as we're talking about what we're thinking about, the different things we're considering for um, a given patient's care. And so there was a lot of concern about that. However, buried in there, if you will, and that was that got all the press or that got all the attention was, oh, now our notes are widely available, be more right. thoughtful you document. Part of that, though, um, really was just the the pure, the one of the biggest intents of the Cures Act was actually to make the data, make the uh, chart more transparent. Um, okay. And so part of that transparency was actually making the data themselves, um, making the data itself more interoperable. And so part of that 21st Century Cures Act was to mandate that all certified EHRs, where basically any EHR that, you know, that's on the market, essentially, right. has to 
abide by these certain data interoperability standards called Smart on Fire. And, you know, okay. with HL7, this was kind of that uh, coming out of that group and being mandated that all, all data has to be able to be um, pass quality standards. And now, um, and that means every data point in the HR has to be what has to be available through these interoperability standards. Um, electronic records have fought this um, data siloing for quite some time. They've liked it. it it's given them a competitive advantage. Right. Um, but that's now been removed. And so by the end of this year, everybody has to be compliant with these standards. And if not, there'll be penalties. Now, now who knows if that how widely that will be. And it usually takes a while for that to take um to to happen in the market, but that is where we're going. And I think that's that's a critical thing that has to happen for us to really see some of the um promise of the electronic record when it came out to the marketplace several years ago. So are those compliance requirements um, that's on like the physician practice or is that on the vendor who creates the that's, EHR? It's on the vendor that creates the EHR. They have to be able to comply with that. This is not, um, this type of thing isn't something that you as a clinician who buys the EHR has any control over. Um, right. It's something that the the software vendor itself has to has to have turned on and have available. Gotcha. Yeah, interesting. I, as you were talking, it made me think about a recent encounter I had as a patient with my doctor. Um, and the the medical assistant before the doctor came in said, just so you're aware, when the doctor comes in, he'll be talking. Um, it might sound like he's talking to you, but he's actually talking into his phone as well because he's using this new software to help him uh, you know, input data more quickly and this and that. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then my, my encounter went on and yeah, he like stopped and and was like talking to his phone and uh, it was a little weird, but it, I could see how he was trying to increase his efficiencies mm -hmm. uh, with, with that technology. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that, I mean, I think with with the um, with the electronic record, one of the side effects of that was actually um, the amount of, of documentation uh um, mandated by CMS, um, right. to, to, to meet all your, to meet all your, um, you know, metrics for quality exactly. metrics. And so, so you see a lot of these things happen. There's, you know, and these things are good, but they're just, they add a lot more burden. Like, um, a lot of in the primary care space, a lot of, you know, about making sure your patients have adequate depression screenings, you know, OSA screenings, uh, you know, right. on and on that require, communication and conversation with the patient. So um, yeah, that, those are, <laughs> can be quite onerous at times for sure. And that's why I think um, the promise of artificial intelligence with, with access data is gonna hopefully automate a lot of those, a lot of those things. Fascinating. Well, uh, let's take a quick break everybody uh, and we'll be back uh, shortly. If it seems like the OIG is constantly making work plan updates, it's because, well, they are. Who has the time to stay up on all those new changes? We do. Each month, CJ Wolf issues a monthly OIG work plan e-brief to make it easy for you to keep up with all the updates coming your way. Head over to healthicity.com resources to check out e-briefs, webinars, blogs, and so much more. Now let's get back to CJ for the rest of this episode of Compliance Conversations. Welcome back, everybody. I have uh, been talking to Dr. Robison here uh, about um, AI, and we're going to get into a little bit more specifically about some solutions that he has been involved in. Uh, we were before the break. We were just talking about the 21st Century Cures Act, 
Anything else on that topic that you might want to cover before we kind of jump into some of these other topics? Um, I think I think the last thing I'll say on the 21st Century Cures Act is I think we are still ingesting what this is actually going to mean um, okay. for um, the market and for patients uh, broadly. I think there's going to be a lot of of um, there's going to be a lot of uh, changes on how people ingest their personal healthcare data because this will have huge impacts on patient to have a kind of a portable chart that they that, that is their own. That will right. now be feasible with this type of technology, which is going to have a huge, I think, change in how people interact with doctors and with healthcare systems. Yeah, because wouldn't that be great? It's like I'm on vacation. I, you know, I live and work out of Utah, but maybe I'm vacationing in Southern California, and all of my records, right, like previous EKGs, previous imaging, all this sort of stuff. And what if I have chest pain when I'm in Southern California? Wouldn't that doc love to be able to see, you know, my prior EKGs, recent EKGs, or any other type of test? Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be cool, like if you could carry that on your keychain or something, right? Um, is that kind of what you're suggesting? I'm not saying yeah. that specific example, but that portability. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm, yeah, we, we will be able to eventually, because right now I, I talk about with other people all the time that doctors don't own data, patients don't own data, healthcare systems don't really own data, it really is owned by the EHR vendor because of how it's set behind their their infrastructure, yep. you, it's not readily available. If yep. you switch EHR vendors, there's a huge costly and time intensive process to switch over from EHR vendor X to EHR vendor Y. And the data structure is so different, it takes forever to kind of maintain that. And it really doesn't really doesn't transfer over neatly to that new um, EHR, just kind of left in some sort of archive format. Um, and so in the future, this will eventually go away where the where the EHR data will basically be basically like an Excel document, which can be readily available or Excel spreadsheet or Word doc that can be readily uh, accessed through any sort of um, software, you know, software. Um, Gotcha. That you like to choose from. Perfect. So, um, so you talked about this data interoperability standards. Why are those so critical for what you're working on for artificial intelligence? You know, to be used successfully and applied broadly in healthcare. Yeah. So I think every I think a lot of people now with the advent of ChatGPT um, are are somewhat aware of what artificial intelligence is, and it's. It's a good thing, but also a bad thing because I think a lot of people's understanding of what it is is a little bit different than, um, or a little narrow, I should say, from what it actually is. And there's a whole bunch of different uses. We've been, I like to say, we've been using artificial intelligence for 25, 30 years now, and just ChatGPT, a large language model, is one of the you know the most newest recent fad of this. But right. before that, the previous iteration that everybody was aware of was IBM Watson and IBM Watson it's you know when it when it came on the it, um the scene um there was a lot of hype around how that was going to revolutionize healthcare and obviously it hasn't and it, it's now just kind of uh, still a thing out there people are trying to figure out what to do with IBM is um it, it, the for for artificial intelligence to be um useful in the healthcare space or any space that's in, in deployed to, it's really reliant on accurate, complete data. Um, okay. And without that, you're going to get, you're going to get uh, useless information. That's why, why IBM Watson failed was really because it didn't have really complete data to operate from. It made false assertions and false assumptions. Gotcha. 
That, that's so interesting. I So as a hobbyist, I'm into photography and um, I use uh, some Adobe products like Photoshop and others, and they are launching and, and I've been using just recently some of their AI features uh, to um, to do what they call gener generative fill, which, and I'm not a technical person, you might understand it better, but essentially they, uh, this technology looks at the entire picture um, and you can ask it to generate maybe clouds or generate. So if I took a picture and it was just a blue sky and I want clouds, you know, so it's just fascinating. And, and it, I think it does what you just says, it, re it requires like mass amounts of data to come up with some good things. It comes up with some funky things. Um, mm -hmm. And then you just, you can kind of tell it, oh, that's pretty close or wait, that's way off. And then you can have it redo and it just kind of learns as it goes. Uh, and I just, I find that super fascinating. And I, you know, I know you work on this more in the healthcare space, not photography. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder that is going to be some powerful tool. If it is, but actually you, you actually highlighted one of my biggest heartburn with conflating uh, large language models and generative AI with like a, a image generative AI. And um, because in, in a situation you described, it's okay if it gets clouds wrong, right? Oh, like we, we really don't care what type yeah. of cloud it shows. You just care if you get clouds, right? Right. <laughs> so in the healthcare space, we absolutely care what type of cloud it showed us, right? We absolutely exactly. it's the right cloud, not the wrong cloud. And that yeah. I think is the pitfall of um, right now broadly applying artificial intelligence without really thinking on how it is generating um, the recommendations it's giving to you as a clinician. Um, difference between a white box versus a black box algorithm. We have to be able to understand what, why a suggestion was made or why a process was automated and what, it, what's, what it's doing. If we can't, we can't trust it. And I think that's the, the biggest um, problem I have with, with just broadly applying artificial intelligence to whatever process, because it is fraught with issues. Now, where I think it's we're already being, making uh, splashes, which I think when I think it's appropriately, is within the imaging space. So radiology okay. and pathology, there's been a lot of study there showing that, that it's, it's good or if not better than, than the people reading those images. There are still some stuff that requires a pathologist and radiologist to look over and say, yeah, that, that looks right to me um, right. because they have that, um, that wealth of knowledge to kind of um, pull from. But I think where those, why those situations are, are really well suited to, to artificial intelligence as it currently stands is because when you have a, let's say an x-ray in front of you, you have all of the data, right? All the data yes. that's in that picture, all the pixels are there because it's in a complete x-ray. For, yes. for radiology, their job, yeah, a little history is helpful, but they can still look at the x-ray and go, yeah, we think it's X, Y, Z, right? Right. They can see that. And same with the pathologist. The history is a little bit helpful there for sure, like the age and some of the things are does help flavor in or color in some of that in information so that they can make that accurate diagnosis. But you still yeah. have 95, 99, 99.9% .9 of information in front of you. Whereas broadly applying artificial intelligence to a patient's chart, as we established earlier in our conversation, it's only it could be one of a hundred different charts, and so that exactly the problem. Yep, that makes complete sense. Because again, I'll because I'm a little naive to the technology. I'll, I'll kind of go back to my photography example. It, it seems like, and I'm guessing here that that you know Adobe uses when they do this generative fill, they're not just using the data from my pictures. It's from everybody who is asking for clouds. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it can kind of come up with some pretty good things and you can click regenerate. But when it comes to like faces and stuff, oh, it does a terrible job um, because, and I don't know, it may be limited in what it's pulling from, right? Like it needs data to come up with something, I think is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Uh, and if and if in the patient chart, like we talked about, if it's only a, a small portion of their history and, and medical record, you're not going to get as good information from AI as if they had, if AI was had access to everything. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So imagine in the future state where you have, because of the data interoperability standards, you have a complete record of somebody from the time they were born to the time they're 85. That's right. a, that's a complete data record. That's a complete record, right? And it's all mapped appropriately. You could theoretically make, yeah, you can start making predictions on how likely they are to have heart disease. We can start doing really meaningful screening for patients, right? That's really targeted to that patient as opposed to everybody greater than, you know, 45, I think, is the current age for colonoscopies. Needs to have a colonoscopy right. uh, or, you know, 10 years from their first uh, early diagnosed first degree relative. Um, we can start making a lot more targeted screening recommendations, a lot more targeted, you know, prognostications on disease outcomes for a given patient. Yep. Right now, those are not very specific. We we know they block, well, we know they apply broadly speaking, but we really can't get really, really finely tuned on that patient from our just as a, you know, with regards to a prognosis and treatment algorithm. Yeah. Once we have a more complete data set that's not just not over a whole bunch of different EHRs throughout the patient's life, but it's one complete record, which we will get there. Um, we will be able to start doing some really amazing things with, with artificial intelligence that we can feel confident in because it is a complete data set. It's not a, not a very specific, not a very small part of that person's record. That That's so interesting. Uh, so you kind of mentioned these pitfalls and the promises. Um, any other pitfalls or promises of artificial intelligence that you want to discuss uh, before I kind of move to a, a question about regulations a little bit? Yeah, I think I think the other big big pitfall I would say I kind of touched on earlier is just not under not really understanding the problem you're trying to solve with artificial intelligence, just applying and going, well, it's gonna you know it's gonna make this better. I think that's like I said, it's really critical to understand how the how the decision is being made why it's being suggested to the user. Um, so we, we as clinicians and whoever's using the software in the, in the, in the healthcare space can have confidence those suggestions are correct. Um, if we don't know why it's making those suggestions, we're, gonna, we're going to um, be critical of it and it's going to fail, I think. So I think that's really critical to really understand what is going into that thought process on, on uh, why suggestions being made. Gotcha. That's, that's helpful. Um, so Adam, you know, a lot of our listeners are kind of in the compliance space, right? Healthcare compliance, the name of the podcast, compliance conversations, uh, and coding and billing and all that kind of stuff. What regulations uh, are currently, you know, out there as it relates to AI implementation with the modern, you know, electronic health record landscape? Are you aware of any? Yeah, so this is actually really interesting. So there's there aren't a lot. This is the Wild West, I think, right now, because it's... Um, <laughs> So in the past, um, healthcare software, as long as it, it, um, it has been somewhat limited from FDA oversight and regulation, it wasn't considered a medical device per se. So right. there are, the FDA has really stringent requirements for any sort of, you know, medical device, uh, right. your e-replacements, your hip replacements, you know, pacemakers, you name it, you know, caths, stents. Those type of things are exactly. very well and, and embedded and regulated as they should be. 
what we have really seen is that totally touch the, the the software landscape, this clinical decision support, because previous clinical decision support was just taking what was widely available in the literature and just making it available to the physician. You know, right. that's kind of where we're at right now. And, and and my company does that to some degree. We we take what's available in the literature and provide it to the clinician in a in a smart way. We look at the patient's chart and go, okay, this is the information that applies to that patient's chart based off of what's in the in the literature, right? That's okay reasonable to do. So we automate that, that we review the patient's chart and we find what's what's in the literature and we provide that back to the clinician. Um, where I think this is where, and, that, and I think that's fine for right now. It's not, I don't think that's a big deal where I think we will see this in the future as artificial intelligence becomes a lot more savvy and as we start looking at this interoperability issue. So we have to more complete data record of the chart. We can do some of these really interesting things that I think we'll see in the next five, 10 years of predicting uh, in a more robust way than we're doing right now, um, where it's really predictions tailored to that specific patient um, as yeah. opposed to um, recommendations that are kind of this, this is what, you know, was what's in the literature. Right. Uh, we're going to see um, um, FDA regulations around that. I'm almost positive we will, because based on some stuff they've even put out recently, uh, right. that they will be, because it has to be, right? All of a sudden, these black box, black box algorithms are suggesting you right. on how to treat patients we, and that are very yep. tailored to that patient. And yeah, that's something we will see in the future, but it hasn't been yet because I still think we're in the very early stages of this currently. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, um, for some of our listeners, you may remember a while back, we had a guest on who talked about software as a medical device. I mean, there's a whole industry um, on software as a medical device. Now, I know that is probably different than AI a little bit, but I, I think it's starting to touch that. So if this topic interests you, you might want to look back at, at that episode. Um, but, you know, when, when you were talking, it made me think of, so I used to work at MD Anderson Cancer Center and, the, you know, years ago and even today, the big thing is personalized medicine, right? So mm -hmm. you don't treat breast cancer the same for everybody anymore. You're looking at markers, cellular markers and those sorts of things to treat specific, your personalized cancer. And that's what I'm hearing you say a little bit is that with access to the medical record, you're getting, you know, and maybe combining it with what's in the literature, you could get some personalized medicine in a way. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And I, I mean, think about with this idea of um, data being this um, more longitudinal view of a patient, as opposed to just this, you know, they've seen this physician for the last five years, so they have that five-year chart, but really their whole lifespan. And then even more importantly, connecting to their family history, right? So okay. to your father's record, you theoretically could do that in this, in this new world we're talking about where you can base off of their own history, you know exactly when they were diagnosed with cancer and I know, know exactly when they're diagnosed with a heart attack or whatever, and you can make screening recommendations based off of that, right? And yes. so those are those, it becomes a very interesting um, new world we enter into when that chart becomes more open and widely available, um, which is, um, and then that is where I think that regulation is gonna be really, will have to be done because this is gonna be entering a whole new world of personalized medicine that, um, is it really feasible currently? Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what you do at AI Medica, which is, I mean, you mentioned a little bit that, you know, you may pull in the medical literature a little bit, apply it to a patient's chart, but, you know, I'm sure there's more to it, you know, in our last couple minutes here, can you kind of give us a, a high level overview of what you're doing? Yeah. So several years ago, when I founded this company, I was sitting in front of the, my a patient's chart and going, this is ridiculous. I have to go to all these third party sources outside of EHR to um, 
make it the treatment decision of my patient. I, I needed right. this should be integrated into my chart. But no, I not only should be integrated directly in the chart, which there are links to how they're doing, but I want the I want the software to look at my patient's chart and say what stuff should I be looking at? What's pre pre present me the information that is reasonable for this patient to be considered, given they have AFib or cirrhosis yeah. or whatever. And so that's what we did. We came up with it. We have a platform that looks at the patient's chart. Um, our AI Medica platform looks at the patient's chart, looks at all the data. Again, it doesn't look at longitudinal. It's just that snapshot on the current patient's chart. Um, we want to get there eventually, um, which I think with the Cures app, we will be able to get there, um, where we look at that patient's chart and say, okay, what information, what, what do you need to consider as a physician from a coding and a billing standpoint and from a documentation standpoint? And so we're able to provide that information, but more so than that, we're able to also harvest that metadata and give uh, clinicians and, and hospitals insight to how evidence-based practices and coding is being applied to their patient population uh, because yeah. it has direct access to the patient's chart. Um, we are getting into the health uh, clinical research space because this, um, this problem of accessing data and, and providing contextual information to the users as they're reviewing charts, abstracting data is a big time it's a huge, uh, huge expense from a time standpoint from personnel. And so we can really, um, with our tools, we can shrink that time and, and personnel burden, reviewing charts and abstracting data. We can automate a huge chunk of that now. Yeah. Um, so it makes it really easy. So that's kind of what we're, uh, we're doing. It's, it's, there's a lot there going on. I can spend a whole podcast I, talking about Yeah, it. that is so exciting. Like, um, so you talked about maybe it's it's point in time looking at the patient point in time and the longitudinal is not quite there yet and when you say that is it like you know maybe i have a patient with chronic kidney disease and you know following them for three or four years and i'm you know you've got three or four years worth of you know glomerular filtration rate you know mm -hmm. tests uh albumin urea all that kind of stuff is that what you mean is like maybe taking three years worth of data no what we can say is what we can say is we can look at whole patient's chart at a given EHR. So like if, you know, okay. patients received all their care at one site for 10, 20 years, we can get all that data. What gotcha. I'm saying is as we expand our network and we're more and more sites, we'll be able to link those charts together in a meaningful way. We'll be able to uh, weave all those charts together independent of what EHR vendor people are using. That just requires us to build out our network. But as we do that at more and more sites, those, those records become more and more meaningful and useful. We can kind of weave those disparate charts into one greater whole for that patient and to give a yeah. broad view of that patient's chart. It's just having access to data, which is obviously gotcha. the biggest problem right now. And we're trying to solve that. But once we have that, the more data we have, the more accurate those models become and yep. the more we can, more meaningful insights we can provide the, the users and the patients and clinicians. Wow. Dr. Robinson, this is fascinating. Um, we are kind of running out of time, uh, but I want to see if you have any last minute thoughts, uh, maybe even, plug AI Medica a little bit if you have a website. Of course, we can put all this in the show notes as well. Yeah. Uh, but any last minute thoughts and uh, or anything like that you want to share? I think the, la the last minute thoughts I'll share is, um, is I think we're at the very beginning of a huge change in, 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 um, in the healthcare EHR landscape. But I don't think it's going to be just applying chat GPT. I think that's a really narrow view of what we'll be seeing in the near in the in the next several years i think we're gonna it's really gonna be around data interoperability and then applying once we have that fixed which we are in the process of fixing that um through that 21st century cures act we'll be able to start doing um a lot more interesting things regarding to how that data once that data becomes unlocked then really the 
the sky's the limit what we can do with it. But I think we're going to see that in the next several years. So I think there's been a lot of talk about AI, like, oh, chat, GPT, large language right. models, going to change things. <laughs> I think that's a really narrow, myopic view of what artificial intelligence will really be doing in the future. And I liken it more to, you know, the tricorder in Star Trek, where we'll, we'll be able to do a lot of really cool things with it that we can't do now, or we, which we can't even probably fathom what we can do with that. So I think that's where we're going in the future. I'm very excited to be part of that. And I, yeah, I hope we'll be around for a long time to come. And so, awesome. yeah, um, our website's AIMedica.ai, and we are, uh, you yeah, know, we're excited to be a part of that future that we're hoping to create. Great. And if if people want to reach out to you, you, you could probably share emails or uh, there's probably ways on their website to, to get more information. We can have that in the show notes as well. Absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You know, I, I bet this is a very fast moving field. Of course it is. And maybe, you know, we have you come back in six months or something and, <laughs> and tell us, you know, what's already changed from, from what the last six months. I think either you or your colleagues, I know you have uh, some technical experts on your team as well. Mm -hmm. It'd be fascinating to talk to some of them maybe. Yeah, we, yeah, to your point, it's even the last few years I've done this, it's, the, it's, it's uh, been amazing all the, all the different uh, avenues we will apply our technology and our platform to. So it's been a very fascinating uh, uh, role to be in for sure. Sweet. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners for, for listening. Um, if you if you like these episodes, please share them with friends. Please subscribe. Uh, we're, we're kind of building the audience even more and more every every time. Uh, and if you have ideas and suggestions for topics or speakers, please uh, reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to hear those. Um, so until our, our next episode, uh, please stay safe and have a good day, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.